Jonas, We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've interrupted my answers with your questions. And then very I well. Kwame Brown is gone. The city of Angels, Hollywood, just should be celebrated. Throw a parade already, whether you win the championship or not. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. My favorite city to visit in the world, Toronto, Jonas Vasu Inuansas. What is good, beautiful people? Welcome to another edition of the Walmart Podcast brought to you by me, Hayden Kim, and Mason Azos. We are currently recording during the heat of the NBA playoffs, but Evan Matthews is joining us right after he gave a smackdown in his adult flag football league. So Evan's here, Mason's here, we're ready to go. We have a bevy of topics to talk about. Mason, I'm going to hand off to you. Okay, so this is one thing that's been really bugging me um, about just in general the way sports reporting is happening right now and and the way that people are speculating on on behalf of millennials and why the goliath of espn is you know not performing as well as it used to or or as well as it should and there's been a ton of speculation why like i said by primarily non-millennials and i think it's interesting since we are three millennials i know that word is kind of used sometimes in a negative light I'm just using it as a generic term, generic generational term. I think I think that we should really get together and talk about, you know, why, and, and as you guys are both members of the media, and I'm a big media critic, I criticize everything. Um, I think we should really get together and talk about, you know, what is ESPN doing wrong and what they need to do to do right. And, and Evan, you said you work for NBC. Hayden, you work for TNT. Those are other media goliaths. Those are competing Goliaths. I don't know if you guys are going to end up working at ESPN sometime in your future, but I think, I think it'd be really interesting to hear why you guys think um, ESPN is not doing as well. Uh, I mean, go ahead. yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm not even sure that they aren't doing well. Uh, there was like a long period there where they had really kind of just blown up and taken over the entire market. And they brought on a lot of people because there was a lot of demand for that stuff. But I mean, things change. The industry changes. I don't think it's necessarily like this horrible thing that they're letting people go and kind of reshaping like what exactly they want the their their company to be. I mean, at this point, they're it's more like daytime talk than actual like sports reporting anyway. And I, I mean, I, I don't know, Hayden, if you found this, uh, you know, working, but I kind of feel like they want uh, people in the industry to be uh, multi-talented or, you know, uh, versatile in what you can do and what you can bring to the table for the company. Um, I love Ed Werder, but aside from like standing outside of Heinz field and telling us that Antonio Brown has turf toe, like he doesn't do a whole lot and he's (laughs) making a lot of money. So it makes sense maybe to, you know, cut ties with that because it's not bringing in the same revenue that cheaper options are. I mean, you got like Schefter out there does basically the same thing from his cell phone it's a lot cheaper it's all for me i think we have to contextualize this by giving a little background and i think that um you know me working at at turner sports and espn seeing their layoffs on that side there's a lot of people that also work at turner that used to work at espn so there's a lot of people that have good perspective and also have a personal tie to the mothership and uh i think one thing about espn and these layoffs that we have to understand and also acknowledge and you can't ignore 
is the fact that rights are getting extremely expensive. And if you look at the deal, for example, with the NBA, Turner and ESPN split those those rights. And I think they, I think ESPN paid something along the lines of $1.4 billion for this last year. And it's only getting more expensive. So rights are everything. Evan, you know this. Uh, rights are everything in regards to monetizing the business. And we're going to add revenue and also keeping the boat alive and producing the best content. Because without rights, you're really kind of out in the Wild West and, and you can only produce so much. And ESPN understands that, Turner understands that, NBC understands that, every single media conglomerate understands this. And so as you see these layoffs, you see people like Mark Stein, uh, Pat Ford, and um, you know the, a bevy of people that uh, we have come to, to grow up with and, and see on television a lot. And to see these guys go away just from the snap of a finger, uh, to me, it is devastating, but at the same time, it's also not too, too surprising because again, uh, when it comes to ESPN's model and, and their, the, the way that they operate, uh, rights are everything. And when rights are getting uh, you know, skyrocketing through the roof uh, with, with costs, um, you have to you know, kind of make those costs up somewhere else. And the most sensible place is probably online onto their .com and some of their kind of uh, older generation of, of on-air talent. So as they make these cuts, uh, I think we have to realize that, again, Evan, I think you make a great point. Uh, when Mike and Mike is going to split up pretty soon, I think they're going to give uh, Mike Greenberg his own show. Uh, the way they're going to market it as basically a good morning America for sports. So they're moving into that direction already uh, with Coast to Coast in the afternoon. And, you know, first take, these are more kind of opinionated, uh, just discussion-based sports shows. So I think that that's the direction they're headed in. And that is more wide-ranging in regards to demographics and, and kind of reaching different types of target audiences. So uh, as I see these layoffs, they suck, and, and I'm sure Fox Sports and even Turner and NBC will be picking up a lot of these talents because they're too good at their jobs to not have a job. But at the end of the day, it does make sense when you look at the numbers. And then I, I, I heard from both you guys, you guys sort of commented on or alluded to this sort of notion of, of cross-platform media where... <laughs> where you know evan you brought up that you know besides telling us that antonio brown has turf toe mark stein's not doing that much and 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 hayden you brought up the fact that you know there's these guys that are very talented but they're kind of still one-dimensional and i think to an extent the way that we are digesting media right now is is cross-platform and it's multi-directional we are watch- we're not watching Sports Center. I don't know the last time I sat down and watched Sports Center with a hundred percent of my attention, and I never felt that. I I, I I I not that I've never felt that way, but I haven't felt that way until recently. And I think part of it is because number one, I'm getting my news elsewhere. I'm seeing the top ten plays before they're on the top ten plays. I used to watch the top ten plays every single morning. I'd wake up. I would have to watch the top 10 plays before I go to school every single morning. I had to do it over breakfast. Yeah. I'd eat my cereal and I'd sit down and I'd watch the top 10 plays. It was a, it was habitual. And I am not the only person that did that. And now I wake up, I take a shower, I check my phone and and it's right there. I already have the top 10 plays. So what do I need to hear? You know, someone give their, their input about it. If I already see it and I already have my own input, I want you guys to sort of delve into that a little bit more you know to sort of siphon this 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 conversation in 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 a couple separate ways i want to take it in this way right now is how do you think that the way that we're digesting sports media through all these we have or inundated with all of these different means of 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 understanding and seeing and learning why do you think that that has to do with sort of the decline in the popularity of sports center 
Well, I think that you're definitely right about you seeing all the plays online, so it kind of makes Sports Center obsolete in some ways. But I would say, you know, there's still like this linchpin that of uh, you know not only the live sports broadcasting rights, but the replay rights. Um, you know, uh, working on a soccer show, it's very easy because the Premier League is like very open with their uh, social media rights, and they kind of just let everybody jump onto it to try to spread the word of everything but you have you have sports that like censor uh highlights online uh like major league baseball is like very big on copyright infringement cracking down on that uh, especially on twitter uh it kind of almost holds the game back itself um but i think if you wanted to run some sort of sports center show there's enough nostalgia out there and there is still kind of like a market need for it it just seems like espn realize that they can make a lot more money just having two people shout at each other and not have to spend any money on it and you could just bring in the ad revenue so i think there is like a place for sports center out there not as much of like a cultural mainstay as it once was but i think that format is still doable i mean if you look at espn's highly highest rated show it is still first take and i know their ratings have taken a little bit of a dip as has basically every show on their platform and but if you want to talk specifically about sports center it has declined and it's not something that i may say i think you make a great point i think a lot of us that kind of grew up in the 90s and early 2000s you know you, you kind of became it was part of your morning routine or a daily routine to catch either the morning sports center or the evening sports center and especially with guys like neil everett i think the only time i still watch sports center is when neil everett and stan verrett are on just because i love neil everett and we're, we're oregon guys but again if you don't have that kind of connection and you don't still dedicate some of your time to say the, the, the SC top 10 or a specific show there's really no reason to watch sports center because again what they're doing is they've kind of had a paradigm shift and and it's kind of an industry-wide paradigm shift where it's about the opinions it's about personalities and it's about um reaching as many people um at, at, at once as possible so i think that you know, you look at first take, and and while you may not, you know, agree or even you, know, you may you may think it's the worst show of all time, but the reason why it works and the reason why it's going to stay for a long time is because again, they're kind of ahead of the curve on realizing that hey, breaking news and, and real time highlights—they're just not things that are are you know that profitable and be things that people really want to tune in for specifically because again we have uh instagram we have twitter we can we can get these kind of things from any different platform who has the rights or not um at any any given time so i think that as highlights get more saturated and uh, and are more easily accessible it's kind of pointing to um you know less space in the market so uh, again you know, with with this seismic shift and, and the way that we consume news and consume mi- digital media, and especially sports, uh, I think that it, it has to kind of go in this direction where you follow certain personalities, you follow certain brands, and you follow various you know certain communities within within the within those uh, kind of overarching brands like ESPN, Turner, and NBC. So uh, I think that look, Sports Center is going to stay and it is continuing to be kind of the backbone of ESPN. But you're going to see more and more of shows like SVP where um, they're trying to separate and, and SE6 with Michael Michael Smith and Jamel Hill because that is the only way that you're going to kind of cross-platform um, uh, market uh, SportsCenter's brand uh, without um, really kind of holding on to the old format. And I, and I have a very – I'm going to challenge one of your points, but I do agree that I think that what really matters is who the people are, who, who are the personalities – you know, when Simmons left ESPN, 
I kept listening to everything and reading what Simmons wrote. When Skip Bayless left ESPN, I didn't do that. And so it really, that does really matter. Now, I'm, the point that I'm going to challenge now is I am almost just fed up with all of this uh, fake manufa- manu- manufactured argument shows like First Take or Undisputed where they're, they're, they're faking. It's not that the, and it's not that Stephen A. and Max aren't good. They're really good, but it's the concept of the show that has me just bugged. And and there's a reason why shows like that, the viewing viewer viewership is down. And shows like the Dan Levitard show and and uh, and and podcasts like the Bill Simmons podcast are are just killing first take in, in ratings and and in, in listens. And you know, I want to know from your guys's angle, like, well, hey, I want to hear from you, from you first, sort of. Like, cause, cause for me personally, I just hate, I hate manufactured debates. I want to hear genuine conversation and I want to hear humor and I want to hear culture. I want more than just, just, just talking heads on a TV show. I just, it, 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 it I don't think it works for the, for our generation. I, I don't think that's going to be a platform that's going to be able to, that's going to be able to continue personally. Mm-hmm. And Mason, you're absolutely right. I think that, I think the uh, if you want to use one example for, and this is that, you know, it hits home for the warm up podcast. For you and me, Mason, especially because I think that we were inspired by a podcast, which is now a TV show in Jalen Jacoby. And the reason why those type of shows and the reason why Barstool Sports and Bleacher Report and these certain brands are booming up is because not not only do they know their sports and they bring a certain uh, angle to and perspective to the sports field, but they also do it in a way that mixes in culture and and thing that, things that are relevant uh, to sports, but are not directly related to them. If that makes sense. So, I mean, hip hop or, or pop culture or fashion, these type of things are integrated into uh, NBA NBA life and NFL life and, and MLB life. And I think that shows like that that are able to not only drive discussion and, and do it from a genuine perspective, but also do it while mixing in uh, organic content that makes sense to the audience, like hip hop and those kind of things. I think that's that's the direction that this industry is headed in. And I think that, uh, again, Nick, you're right. If you just look at the numbers, First Tech, while it's still the highest rated show on ESPN, their numbers have dipped, and I think that it's going to either plateau or continue to dip um, to the point where they might have to reformat the show or just kind of call quits on it. Because, again, I think that while in size and scale, Jalen Jacoby is nowhere near what First Take will ever be, um, I think that these are the type of shows, Days of Samoro is another example, where uh, you have two heads or two personalities that aren't overwhelming, that are kind of relatable, and people that um, you can just kind of easily listen to, uh, not have to really, really, really focus in on when you're listening to them. I think these are the type of platforms and uh, entities that we'll have to look out for, and I think that's, there's this industry is honestly littered with them. You just got to keep your eye out for them. Evan? Yeah, I mean, pretty much covered it there, Hayden. So, okay. So then now, now I want to now in transition to why certain sports shows are doing so well. Because, you know, you brought up Jalen Jacoby, which is a fantastic example. And Hayden, I think that you're going to be able to connect with this too. And Evan, you're on, you're on also a very successful sports show. Incredibly, you guys both work for incredibly successful sports shows that are separate from, from ESPN that are, that are both very unique and both very compelling in different ways. And I kind of want to bring up why NBA on TNT is so good. Sometimes I watch games 
and the halftime show is better than the game. I am more entertained sometimes on the NBA TNT halftime show or the post game show than I am by the game. And I love basketball and I watch I, I watch as many games as I can. I really do. And sometimes in the middle of the season, the games, face it, they suck. If it's a Nets, uh, like a Nets Lakers game, sorry, Hayden, it's, it's going to be a bad game. It's not a good game. But those guys make everything interesting. So why why have things like like that where it's so, so like things like MBMTNT or things like Men in Blazers? Why have those caught on? And we brought up Jalen Jacoby and Bill Simmons and 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 I in the Dan, Dan Levitard show. Like why have things like that caught on? Whereas the the standard has has fallen off. Uh, for me, I think it comes down to whether or not it feels forced. Forced. Uh, I, the thing about T, uh, NBA and TNT is those guys all feel like genuinely that they're friends, and that really shows through. I, I think Men and Blazers is kind of built on that same dynamic, and you know to compare that to uh, First Take, I really don't think that like Stephen A and uh, what's his face are going out for drinks after the after the show every day. Uh, I think that kind of dynamic is something that um, feels very genuine to viewers, and and people kind of cling to that. Mason, the, the easiest way I can break down why NBA on TNT works, and I think uh, there's only one way to do this, is the fact that um, the way I look at it, I think a lot of people and millions of people that tune in every Thursday night and Monday to watch these guys is the fact that, look, you have Shaq, you have, you have Chuck, you have EJ, you have these guys that uh, either played in the NBA at a very high level and won championships, or B, you have guys like EJ who are some of the most respected you know, name brands in the entire business. Uh, these guys know how to talk basketball. They know in and out, but that is not their backbone to the show. That is not the foundation of the show. The foundation is the chemistry and also <laughs> the, the the ability to, uh, you know, be, be a parody, but also uh, get serious when you need to. And I think that Chuck is a great example of, you know, you go from a guy who was a um, quote-unquote thug or, or someone that was kind of a punk in the NBA. A lot of people did not get along with this guy. Um, you, you go from that, and then you go, you flip a 180, and now you're a guy that, you know, for example, last week, you, you, you literally have a side by side of him um, doing uh, an attempted sit up, you know, next to a cat that's barely moving. You know, I mean, the guy's willing to make fun of himself, and I think that a lot of the times, other shows like First Take or you know whatever ESPN's putting out nowadays, you know, they really they might try to be relaxed and try to you know kind of force these jokes, but at the end of the day. You don't, it's just for whatever reason, it just doesn't feel as organic. So I think NBA and TNT is just a, a mix of years and years of building chemistry, um, doing it a, a, lot of, a lot of times, going through ups and downs. Uh, but again, B, it's because these guys can do both at the same time without having to try. I think that's the bottom line with NBA and TNT. I think that if you're able to get that level of talent that's willing to have fun and do it in a way that makes sense for the demographic and show, which NBA and TNT does, I think that that is the home run, and I think that, that that's why you just don't see that as many shows. You may have two of those things, but if you, most most shows do not have all three of those things. So, yeah, I, oh, go go ahead. Yeah, I feel like uh, the internet is also kind of a big deal uh, in ter- with this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. You can just cut this part. I no, it's it. I had nah, it. No, no worries. It's uh. So here here's the thing is, and and this is kind of how how I want to sort of close this, and I want to each give us our, our, our little spiels about this. And I, and I think that your guys' perspective on, on sort of, you know, why it's failing or, or, you know, why it's failing and, and why the shows that you guys work on are having, you know, much more success in growing 
in growth relative to most of ESPN's content that they have right now, which is, face it, it's not that good. People aren't connecting with it. So my question is now for you guys, and I, I have my own uh, opinions too, and and, and, I, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, is what 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 is what would you do if, if you were in Skipper's seat, if you were if if you were in the the head of ESPN right now, what are the certain things that you would do to kind of galvanize a new viewer base or listener base or media base? Well, I. Yeah, I I think the the big thing I would do is kind of institute some sort of culture change. I feel like the things that are popular now, the sports shows that are catching on now, are ones that don't take themselves too seriously and don't take the sports too seriously. And that's kind of striking a nerve with, with viewers and people are really clinging to that. I feel like the glory days of ESPN, before we were, you know, around, the the the, the culture there was just fun. And ESPN doesn't feel fun to watch as a viewer anymore. It just feels like a like a cor- like a corporation that makes like daytime sports talk like television, and then like tries to be hip with a couple shows, and then just makes like a lot of money on game like the rights to broadcast games, and you know everything they do is is skilled and they and they have the best people in the industry or a lot of the best people in the industry working there it just feels like culturally it doesn't it doesn't resonate with people our age mm-hmm. i agree uh with you mason and evan i think that uh i think the bottom line with espn is if you really think about it it's, it's not a race thing it's not it's not a matter of um, you know, you know, certain communities or the way that they go about the business. I think that the bottom line is there is still a stigma or um, perception about ESPN that it's run by a bunch of old white dudes um, that used to be relevant but aren't relevant anymore. And I think that they're having a really hard time shaking that image. Um, Evan, you made a good point in that, you know, maybe before we were born or right in the, in the thick of the 90s, or when, you know, when you had Stu Scott and these guys that, you know, were, were transcending the game and um, really making what Sports Center um, wanted to be from the very beginning into what it was in its heyday. I think that, you know, you look at that, I think they need to try to get back to what what that next thing is. And I think that they're starting to scratch the surface with shows like uh, The Six with Mike, oh, Michael Smith and Jamel Hill. I don't think it's perfect. I don't know if a lot of people really watch that show. I don't know if it's going to be a long-term success. But I think that when you bring in those type of personalities that are very respected in um, the demographics that you need to target, for example, with Michael Smith and Jamel Hill, um, you you, got to believe that um, there's a heavy African-American following. Um, I think that there's a heavy following of of fans that really understand the sport and really um, view it as something more than just a game. That that people that, again, are immersed in the sports would also love hip-hop and um, you know other areas that um, that are related to the NBA and, and NFL and so forth. I think you need to find those types of people and those types of pockets to further monetize and, and be also uh, trigger uh, you know more growth because I think otherwise you're really just kind of uh, resurfacing and repackaging the same type of content for the same type of people. And right now ESPN is struggling and and if they don't find those next big things or that next generation of personalities that stick out to people organically. Um, I think that they're they're in huge trouble, and I think that with the increasing uh, rights and and how expensive it's going to be, say in even five to ten years, 
Uh, it may not even be justifiable for Disney to, you know, keep ESPN around and they might try to sell them off. So I think that they are hitting a crossroads and that they need to act fast and act smartly because, again, this is not a, this is not a quick fix. This is something that's going to take time. But if they can invest in the right people and invest in the people that, again, don't take themselves too seriously, I think that um, ESPN still has a chance. So here's my take, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, as I said, and, and this is going to kind of take us into our next topic, too. Is I don't think it's the people. I truly think that it's actually the programming that ESPN needs to fix. Now, I'm going to ask you guys this question, and you probably you're not going to you, you may get the right answer, you may not. But when was the last time you were really excited? You set the recorder to watch something on ESPN. I'm going to guess out of just thin air because we're we're pretty similar. I'm going to guess the last time you set record to anything on ESPN was for the new 30 for 30. Is that, am, am I, am I on the right track there? I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and so <clears throat> how come ESPN has moved away from these like <clears throat> beautiful, engaging, you know, interesting, captivating these, these movies, documentaries, these films, They've moved away. When's the last time that you watched Outside the Lines? Invest true investigative reporting. That's what people want. People want integrity. They want true investigative reporting. I don't think people care about talking heads on TV. They they get the barbershop conversations. They get it everywhere. I don't need to hear two guys fake scream at each other. When Bob Lee sits down and does a... a thorough investigative reporting about something that is culturally significant and sports relevant it is captivating and i sat uh, this morning i woke up at four in the morning four in the morning and outside the lines was on that's the spot that outside the lines gets is four in the morning it's way too good of content in my opinion and i think that those law those those near documentaries e60 espn films 30 for 30 sec story those types of those pieces of content they stand alone and they're engaging more than just hearing something now the, the now the argument against it is that they do cost more money to produce but i don't think that that's a really that is a a big thing in espn because what these contents what these pieces of content are called is perma gold content they always stay gold you can always run an, an episode of 30 for 30 to fill time why, and, and, and this transitions to the next topic, which is, why do you think Netflix is so good? Because they have these pieces of content that you can watch over and over and over and over and over again, and it just sits there, and they're engaging every single time. The news from six weeks ago, the the the, the uh, first take episode from six weeks ago, why would I watch that now? But I'll go back and watch the Benji episode of, of, of 30 for 30 that was on three months ago so i want to hear your guys's because i put a lot of thought into this and i want to hear what you guys think about sort of my my ideas about this that's all you had yeah i think uh let me first answer kind of uh, uh mason i don't disagree with you again I, when i do sit at home and, and outside the lens is on maybe during a kind of midday maybe i'm not working until night i will certainly still watch an hour of Bob Lee breaking down what's really happening in the sports world that isn't already, you know, on on the ticker for that sports center or NBA TV or wherever else. Um, and that's because, again, like you said, Mason, uh, you know, outside the lines is one of those those few remaining shows that really does a deep dive into investigative reporting and really dissects 
and has a very educated uh, and highly intellectual conversation about what's going on in sports and why that matters and why this impacts so many different communities. I think that, that is still very valuable. But again, I think that if you if you just look at the ratings and, and the shows that, you know, big conglomerates like ESPN are trying to shift towards, they're trying to find that NBA on TNT. They're trying to find uh, a kind of their version of what inside the NBA would be, uh, where you, you, you're, you're really just maximizing uh, what sports can give you. And I think that outside the lines, while it's great content, it's the pinnacle and kind of the standard of what investigative reporting should be and what investigative journalism should, should be about. I think that it is a show that is only sports-oriented. And, and while it does have a lot of wide-ranging topics within sports, it does not touch pop culture. It does not touch kind of that youth, uh, up-and-coming millennial generation where they're kind of interested in other things and, and may not honestly care about, you know, what really all goes into, say, covering a sexual assault scandal on, on a college campus. I think that those type of shows and that and those type of that type of content will always live. But I think that again, I don't I don't know if there's as monetizable, if that's even a word, as as a show like say again Jalen Jacoby. Because again, uh, I think that our attention spans and the way we consume news and the things that we value, while they may not be the best thing, uh, it may not be the best way to go uh, consume news. It, the reality is. Uh, these kids and, and, and people our age are looking for things that they don't have to really truly sit down and consume at a high level. I think that's sad, but again, I think that's the direction it's moving in, and you have to try to catch that wave before it's gone. And I think that ESPN is trying to, they're just not finding the right pockets. And again, I would hope that Outside the Lines is not on at 4 a.m., but there is, trust me, there are programmers and they have talented people over at ESPN that make a good, a good, good pretty penny. Uh, doing what they do and understanding why outside the lens of that is that the time slot is that right now. Yeah, I mean, those kind of shows are, I mean, they're great, but they're not necessarily, you know, into standalone brands in and of themselves. Um, you know, all these, uh, like inside the NBA or, you know, uh, NBA on TNT, it's the kind of show that has like a Twitter presence and it will interact with its fans and it has hosts that are easily relatable. They feel like your friends. Those are the kind of things that, can be stretched over a podcast and a TV show and an online social media presence and they can monetize it in, you know, five, six different ways outside the lines, 30 for 30s. Those are the kind of programs that they do live forever and they are great and they have, they will have their loyal viewers coming back. But again, they're not, uh, you know, you don't get as much bang for your buck with a show like that as opposed to a show that has the format that's more suitable for an online presence. Well, okay. So my so so now my my argument against that, you guys both brought up that it's less monetizable, but the the fact of the matter is it is. They call it perma gold content for a reason because you license it you you license it out once you use it, right? ESPN has sold the rights from for thirty for thirty for tons and tons of money to Viceland, to and and to Netflix. Right, not to mention you, not to mention the Comcast. No, and that's a good point. Would you, yeah. Would, do you I'm follow more, 30 for 30 on Twitter? No. There you go. And, and that and that's and that makes it and that makes for a very good point. And and that goes back to the cross-platform program. But I guess my what I'm what I'm trying to what I was trying to my argument stems from is the fact that there's nothing that's exciting, that there's nothing that that I've been excited about on on really on on any as far as real sports programming goes. And, and that I've been super excited about besides 30 for 30 in, in the last three years. I mean, there, I, I can't think of NBA on TNT is one of them. 
So I will say that I do get excited for that. But I'd say besides those two, where I get really excited and I want to record it and I want to watch it, I, I don't know how many other how many other television shows or, or any type of programs I get I get that excited about. I, it's it's very interesting to me. Do you guys have any closing remarks? Go ahead, Evan. Nah, I mean, uh, you raise a good point. Uh, hopefully we'll find something for you soon. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, Mason, I think this just kind of wraps up my kind of general view and, and my take on this whole situation and, and what this industry is heading towards is, look, you can hop on Twitter for, say, 15 minutes. I don't know if you're on Twitter or not. I know their user base is basically stagnated, so there's not that many people, you know, in big scale um, in regards to people on Twitter. But for those that go on Twitter, those that go on Facebook religiously every day, at least for half an hour to an hour a day, if you go on and then scroll Facebook and you follow the right, um, you know, say New York Times or kind of these big media companies, and same thing goes for Twitter or you follow these big time writers or, or personalities, I think if you go scroll through that for about half an hour, there's, you know, you basically understand what's going on in the world or whatever you're trying to look at in that moment in real time. And therefore, that's why shows like Outside the Lines, while they give you, you know, breaking news and they give you, you know, insightful perspectives and they're giving you storylines, look, that that whole format is, is somewhat flawed for television because again by the time you you, you know you they get done with a month-long investigative piece say about say like like for baylor football for example um you know you've already got basically all the nuggets of information that they're going to basically rehash but maybe with a little more ketchup or a little bit more salt or a little bit more of a deep dive into it but again a lot of these people that are on twitter and facebook that are part of this millennial generation and younger these guys are, are not looking for necessarily a deep dive on things. They're looking for, oh, like five bullet points on what the topic's about. And I think that, that for that reason, again, it goes back to that's why they're more opinion-based shows where it's about personalities, not necessarily original content. And again, that's maybe sad. Maybe that's not the best thing for the industry. Maybe at some point that hits a wall and we go back to finding a happy medium. But I think that for now, that is the reality situation. And that's why shows like inside the NBA don't have to try to be something they're not. And, and, and luckily for them, they found the perfect chemistry and the perfect mix of, say, you know, when, when they go to the museum, um, it, I think they did on MLK Day this year, um, you know, they went to a museum and they, and they went through the civil rights movement and really had this moment where they had a genuine open conversation about politics and, and how maybe it impacts sports. I think those type of content is the, the way to go and stuff that uh, you just can't find anywhere else. Again, but when you talk about first take or, or, or outside the lines, these type of shows, I mean, you're just hearing basically the same thing you already see on Twitter and social media just through their lens. And I think that for that reason, that's why you're not that excited to say record, because again, you can already get those perspectives and, and varying uh, viewpoints basically on Twitter through a tweet. And why would you want to go sit for another half an hour to an hour to listen to basically the same topic just at, at a deeper level? Good points. Let's go uh, talking about content. We're covering content on this episode of the warm-up podcast let's talk about netflix what are you guys watching on netflix right now uh right now i'm actually like halfway through dear white people and it's uh really really good probably one of the best probably the best new show i've seen this year uh yeah. the uh, movie came out i think like a year and a half ago it was an indie movie and it was really great uh this show uh i think it's the same writers but an all new cast and it's really great would highly recommend it great writing it's funny um, it picks on everybody. It's really, oh, it's just great. Hayden? I, 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 I'll be honest with you, I'm probably in the minority, but I haven't really been going to Netflix that often as of late um, to go, say, to a dedicated show or to watch a new one. 
Um, if anything, I've actually been I actually been rewatching um, all of Mad Men and got up to season seven, so I'm almost done uh, rewatching. And it's funny you mentioned Mason. I think that the reason why Netflix and Amazon Prime are doing so well is because of the on-demand functionality and the fact that they buy these rights to uh, basically put great shows like from AMC, for example, for Mad Men, you know, on demand on on their platform. So I will keep going back to that. I'm really waiting for House of Cards to come back, and I'll, I'll definitely go back to that and watch a lot of that. Um, you know, but again, the, re- the reason why Netflix has separated itself and it's the, re- the reason why everyone is down to pay, what, eight, seven or eight bucks a month to uh, get a subscription is because everyone's watching Netflix for these original programming uh, and, and a mix in with, say, specials like Dave Chappelle. Everyone tuned in to watch Dave Chappelle's special, even if you didn't follow him before. And that is the type of, of moves and investments that Netflix has just hit on the head perfectly every single time. So, um, again, I think right now I may be just... For me personally, I just don't really find that many shows that enticing to go sit down and watch every day or regularly. Um, but once How the Cards comes back, I'll definitely watch it back. <laughs> and again, I will probably watch Mad Men and rewatch Mad Men for the rest of my life. So again, that's great that I can just go to Netflix and easily watch that. Yeah, I think well, it's huge for Netflix that just the the sheer diversity of programming that they have really kind of puts at least one show up for everybody that makes them, you know, uh, makes the subscription worth it and it kind of brings up enough buzz. It's kind of cool to see what's, I mean, they're essentially just like a TV channel online and they have an incredibly broad, uh, you know, array of types of programming. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, let's let's be honest. Netflix is killing TV right now. Netflix, as you said, Evan, it's basically just TV and they're giving the basically the studs of the world huge contracts to come in and and talk and huge directors huge contracts let's just name a cup i mean the past two months have been insane i just started watching dear white people it's getting huge acclaim 13 reasons why blew up twitter terrible terrible show we will get to that later because i disagree there was um well okay I, i agree in some in some respects um dave Chappelle. they got him to come out of retirement they got bill nye the science guy to come out of retirement they licensed kevin hart they've licensed like you said hey mad men house of cards they have amazing spike lee just did a documentary called rodney king i mean it this is really the pinnacle of television right now and it's not even tv it's it's uh it's streaming and i don't know and 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 i think it ties into sort of like like what i was saying with my argument with um with uh with with permagold content is it's here i can watch it whenever i want to you know i can watch every single episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia and and netflix is 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 really changing the way that we consume media the way that we consume content and i think that a lot of tv stations are gonna have to catch up or do something because right now tv stations are losing money so they're licensing content and they're licensing content to netflix who's paying no money to have it and they're making a ton of money on the back end off of strip subscriptions. So I, I've, I've been very, I've been very interested with this whole con- concept of of content con- content creation, con- not content creation, content consumption, and 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 how how it's it's being seen. And I guess that was sort of a little rant there. But have you guys seen Bill Nye's or, or Bill Nye's or Dave Chappelle's uh, shows yet? And do you guys have opinions? I haven't had a chance to check out the Bill Nye show, but I got it on now. Uh, Chappelle was great. Uh, I mean, one of those specials he taped like three years ago and they just threw it up there and it was, I mean, it was a little bit timed, you know, you could tell in a couple places where he was talking about stuff that was, you know, more culturally relevant a couple years ago, but 
I mean, just still just fire. I, it feels like they're just taking, I guess not crazy risks, but they're really just putting a lot of money out there and they're hitting every single one. It's just crazy. I love the Dave Chappelle specials. Uh, I like the first one, I believe, if it's in that chronological order, more than the second one, which was the more recent one. I thought both are great. But again, um, I think that one other thing that Netflix has done very well and, and some other competitors like Amazon Prime maybe struggling to really you know get on their level is they really head to head on nostalgia. I think if you look at shows like The Get Down, for example, at least season one, you know, I was talking to a guy, uh, a graphics guy, um, I think it was like a couple months ago, and I think he was saying right when Get Down 2 came out, he was like, oh, like, have you seen this show called Get Down? And it's like a 40, 50-year-old guy who's been around the business for a long time, kind of one of those old heads. And he's like, you know, like, it really reminded me of that, like, show that used to watch as a kid when I was, like, in the 70s or 80s. And I was like, that is a type of content and, and kind of just, you, you can't teach it, but Netflix understands what their demographic and target audience wants. And I think that nostalgia and themes like that where um, you can kind of just lure in a lot of, of large groups of people uh, for a very relatable show. I think that that is the reason why Netflix continues to thrive and also grow um, their audience. So um, and then again, Mason, you made a great point with licensing and, you know, bringing in people like Bill and I. I think that's another great example of nostalgia. Like all of us grew up in, you know, going to science class in middle school or maybe in elementary school watching his videos and watching those on, on the rollout um, kind of TVs that they used to have yeah. in school. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I haven't watched Bill Nye's thing, but, you know, again, maybe I'm enticed to because I'm, I loved Bill Nye growing up. And, and even if it's not something that it ends up being that great, I will certainly at least give it a try. And for Netflix, that's a huge W for them um, always. In the very least, you know, like you're not going to watch probably any other like science talk show. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be hosted by basically anybody else, and you wouldn't even give it like a passing thought. Probably, you probably just no. scroll right by it, but because it's Bill Nye, it's like plastered all over the front of Netflix as it should be. Very true. All right, enough with content. That was actually like a really interesting, and I actually appreciate both your guys' perspective. I think you guys brought really interesting things to the table, and 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 that was something that, like I said, I've been thinking about and putting a lot of thought into for a, a while now. And you guys really helped me clarify things too. Let's get into the meat of it, or not even the meat. Let's finish up with with what what's going on right now. The NBA playoffs. Evan, we have been texting a lot, and you have been very adamant. You have some very great. I'm, a, I'm an emotional roller coaster. You're an emotional roller coaster. It's been it's been a very tough playoff series for you. So I'm gonna let you go first. Hit 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 the, hit the listeners over the head with with your whiz rants. So I should start off by I think it was like the first time I came on this show. Uh. We were talking about how the Wizards were shaping up this year, and I was very cynical. And I believe I threw out the possibility of trading John Wall. And I just want to go on record saying I was could not have been more wrong. That was the stoop, maybe the stoop, the least hot take I've ever taken. That was an ice cold take, and I regret it. And I'm sorry, and I apologize. That being said, I'm feeling honestly pretty good right now. We're taping this right after Game One of the Eastern Conference semifinals, so. Uh, Wiz jumped out to a very early lead. They're a very big early lead. I think it was like 16 to nothing before the Celtics ended up scoring. Ended up blowing the game. Markeith Morris went out. Uh, he said he's playing game two. I guess we'll see what the doctors say. Uh, you know, I'm feeling good. I feel like we clearly have the best player in the series. Bradley Beal's been a machine. Uh, that last series against the Hawks, the only thing that worried me worried me was it showed how thin the front court is. Um, it's basically just Gortat out there playing massive minutes, which he has been kind of 
been dialing back on because he's starting to get a little old. Um, but basically, every game has started out last like four games. It started out with Markeith picking up like one or two early fouls, and then Jason Smith's rolling out there for like massive minutes. Uh, so now with Markeith down, uh, Yamahimi still. I don't know. It's like, it seems like he's he's been day to day for like two weeks now. I hopefully he'll come back soon. But like rolling with Bogdanovich as your backup uh, uh, big man is a little dicey. Uh, I think the Wizards are definitely capable of stealing one on the road here in Game Two. And I I really just feel like once they get home, that's uh, that's two games right there. I think so. Win one on the road. Aiden, what's your yeah, take on the playoffs? Let me start with the Wizards uh, because Evan's on here and I got to give my take, obviously. Um, look, Evan, I, before the playoffs started, we, you know, in our office, we have this kind of, we actually replaced an entire wall um, that's you know, with, a, with a certain paint where you can basically draw on it. And we made a huge calendar. And within that calendar and within that space, we all wrote down our finals predictions. And I was the last one to actually write it because I was waiting to see if there's any injuries or anything like that because it is a competition. And as I was writing, you know, the Warriors down, obviously, on the Western Conference side, as I was about to fill in the Eastern Conference side, I really had a hesitation to not only not put the Cavs, but also put the Wizards because I really thought it was either going to be the Wizards or Boston Celtics, maybe, you know, maybe breaking that hump and overcoming that and, and, and squeezing into the finals. And I still think that John Wall has actually played, has been the best point guard in the Eastern Conference playoffs so far, and maybe arguably been the best Eastern Conference point guard aside from Isaiah Thomas this year and I think that as, as the more and more I watch and the more more I see Bill kind of growing into the role that he should have played a long time ago you know it should have been healthy for um, I think that I love the Wizards and I love what Scott Burks has done with that team but then then I see Isaiah Thomas you know he gets his front tooth knocked out the man basically is balled out um, I've never seen anything like this after the passing of his sister you know he just flew back at like 4 a.m. or got back you know touchdown 4 a.m. Um, after his sister's funeral the other day um, I mean, you look at this thing, it just seems like while the Wizards are maybe the better team and John Wall is, is it good enough to carry this team through at least up until the Eastern Conference Finals, I think that uh, the Celtics just had that kind of storyline about them with everything that's gone down with Isaiah Thomas to where I think the Celtics have this kind of whatever you want to call it. Um, they have some sort of wave or, or movement that they are riding um, until it kind of runs out. And I think that maybe they're, they're riding this all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. So it'll be very interesting. I think this series is probably going to go at least six or seven. I think that every game is going to be competitive. I know that the Celtics jumped out to, or sorry, the Wizards jumped out to a 16-0 lead the other day. And I thought that that was a little bit too early. But I think it's going to be a great series. I think John Wall's been great. I think that we need to also acknowledge the fact that his, his assist numbers have been absolutely crazy. And I think he's been doing that for, you know, basically since day one he got into the league. So that's interesting. Um, sad to see the Bucks go. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens at the rest of the conference. I think that I still hope that the Cavs just demolish the Raptors because I just don't believe in them. I, I just don't like watching their brand of basketball. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I still think it's going to be Cavs-Warriors at, at, at this point. Um, but we'll see uh, how the Warriors deal with uh, our next series. And we'll see how the Spurs and Rockets series, which I think will be very interesting, uh, pans out in, in, a, in a couple of days. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, very interesting stuff going on. But I think that ultimately it will still be Warriors-Cavs, which is, uh, you know, call it what you want to call it. I mean, I guess there's not that much uh, parity in the league. I'm super interested in the Spurs-Rockets series, and that starts tomorrow. Um, not so interested by the Cavs Raptors because we already know that the LeBron has destroyed the Raptors. What this is the third year in the row, probably. Jazz Warriors isn't gonna be close. Celtics Wizards are are entertaining. You know, I think that 
like you like you said, Hayden, there's not too much parody. And I I but I do think that within within each game there is a lot of parody. Whereas there may not be this level of who knows who's gonna win it all. We we kinda know who's gonna win it all, but you know, I think that the Wizards. I'm gonna, I'm 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 gonna leave out the Cavs, Raptors, and Warriors, Jazz, uh, because I don't think that I I think that everybody can pretty much de- determine what's gonna happen there on their own. Um, Celtics and Wizards. It's really gonna depend on guard play, and and really it's gonna depend on 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 defensive guard play, which is which is why it's gonna be so much fun. Because we're gonna have to see if John Walls is one of the better defenders in the league if he tries and when he tries, but he doesn't. And one of the things that I've noticed about Bradley Beal, and I've always criticized him, is that he's a shooter that can't shoot. But he is a fair defender. And when his shots falling, when he's when his shots falling, man can play ball. He's a really good shooter when his shots falling. He's just streaky. Now, I think that, but I but I think it's going to have depend heavily on, on 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 defensive play because Isaiah can put up more points than anybody else on the court. He's a thirty point average, around thirty points a game score. I think he's like twenty nine point five, whatever it is. Avery Bradley doesn't score, so he's going to need to score. But he's really going to need to play defense because Isaiah is not guarding John Wall. Avery's going to guard John Wall. They're they're not going to they're they're going to mix it up. They're not going to have Isaiah on him the whole time, and I wouldn't either. So yeah, I think I mean, it's they, had, they had Isaiah on auto border in game one. Yeah, exactly. They're going to switch it up. They're not going to have their best player guarding the best player. If you're if Isaiah is just a heavily offensive player. Now I want to go to the Rockets Spurs because I think this can play out one of two ways. And I know I said this. I well, I didn't say this about the the first one about the Rockets versus OKC, but it's going to be interesting. Another very heavily defensive game for the Spurs, but also for 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 the Rockets in different ways. I think it's going to be a long series, and it can go one of two ways. Where it, whereas it becomes a track meet because the Rockets make it a track meet, or Kawhi is able to play the defense at a level in which lowers the score. Now, here's the thing. And and I'm going to end end with this is <clears throat> sorry. Kawhi gets superstar calls on the defensive end, meaning he can foul you and you won't they won't call the foul because it's Kawhi. Draymond kind of has that and Anthony Davis kind of has that, but Kawhi really really has that. And I and and, and James Harden, the basis of his game is breaking his guy down either one-on-one, pick and roll, and getting to the hoop, drawing the foul, or hitting the three. If he's not going to get those fouls, if he's not going to be allowed to get those fouls, well, I don't know what their scoring is going to look like because the Spurs are pretty good. But that being said, the Spurs also have a ton of dudes that play exactly like Enos Cantor. And what was the Achilles heel of OKC besides Roberson's free throws was Enos Cantor's defense. Pau Gasol is an Enos Cantor. Like, they, they don't. They have a ton of these guys that are big dudes. Boris Diaz is not playing defense. They have a ton of these guys that are big guys. They're going to have to guard the roll man or switch, and it's not going to happen. They're going to get torched. So look to look for a very unexpected series and a very interesting series in and of itself. Sorry that took You have the Rockets then? Yeah, I would say I have the Rockets in seven. The Rockets. Yeah. What about you, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I, I have the Spurs here, but I, Mason, you're absolutely right. I mean, they have the, the worst trio and the softest trio, arguably, of big men with – David Lee, Pagasol, and Lamarcus Aldridge. So, like, you're just not going to get any interior defense. And when you have Nene Hilario playing out of his mind and playing balls out for the squad and going, you know, I think he actually tied a playoff record 
um, the other series with making like 12 for 12 the other day uh, with 28 points. I mean, if he does that and he can definitely do that against Tiger Sol and Marcus Aldridge, then how the hell are the Spurs going to stop the, the Rockets? Because you know Eric Gordon's getting buckets. You know James Harden's getting buckets. And you know occasionally Ryan Anderson's going to get buckets. So if that's going to be the case, then I definitely have the Houston Rockets winning. I just think that it's just one of those, those things that where Kawhi's going to do his thing and Kawhi might be enough. And, and if you have Tony Parker occasionally showing up, and I think that he has been playing excellent basketball, I think you have Manu who's also been you know turning back the clock and playing well. If Danny Green, I think it's going to come down to Danny Green. And if he can, if Danny Green can have at least two or three good showings, and, and by good showings I mean you know hitting maybe four threes, uh, and maybe getting to like 12 to 14 points, I think that the Spurs are, are definitely going to win that series. But I think it is going to go seven or at least six, uh, and it'll be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I love me some uh, Mike D'Antoni. Uh, that Steve Nash Suns team is like my favorite NBA team ever. Uh, but you got the best player on the floor and the greatest coach of all time. Just feels very like Falcons Patriotsy to me. It's just like <laughs> it makes sense in my head. It's like the Rockets can space the floor. They can just rain threes. Like Kawhi can't do everything, but you go back to it and it's Kawhi and Pop, and I just don't see them losing. Well, yeah, I, I can see why you guys would both think that. It just scares me that that Kawhi is going to be asked. Not only most most great players, they ask him to do everything on one side of the ball. I'm, I will be very intrigued. And Kawhi is the second best player in the league. I forgot Stephen A said it or something, and I was like, that's the smartest thing he's ever said. Mm. Kawhi is the second best player in the league. Wow, Mason loves first take. Mason favorite show. <laughs> I know favorite show. No, but I think I, I I truly think it's tough to ask a guy to do everything on both sides of the court. So I it's like I said it's going to be interesting and I know our group text is going to be popping during those games. Tomorrow at 6, it's going to be popping. Yeah. Um anything else you guys want to talk about? Uh No, I got Oh, the yeah, the Braves are in third place. Just killing it. Just, just throwing a little baseball there. <laughs> How many games did they play? Uh, I think like 24 at this point. That's pretty solid, man. They're, they're below 500, but they're still in third. The Mets are falling apart, so that's great. They're third out of four? Third out of five. Oh, out of five, yeah. Mariners are in the same thing. We're just pitiful. Just yeah, pitiful. Just, yeah, doesn't look good. All right. I guess, for me, I guess for me, real quick, I think just on the playoffs alone, and we can end with this, uh, I think that we just got it. Even though the Utah Jazz will probably get obliterated by the Warriors, I want to give a shout-out to that team in the season they've had because this is the first, I think, playoff series they've won since 2010. It was, it was Gordon Hayward and Quinn Snyder's first playoff series win. Uh, I love the Utah Jazz and, and their brand of basketball. I think Quinn Snyder, you know, maybe could have had a case any other year for Coach of the Year. And I saw Joe Johnson or Joe Jesus, if you want to call him that, has had just, just a throwback playoff series this last first round. And I'd love nothing more than to see the LA Clippers fall apart and to Blake Griffin to get some sort of random, you know, kind of small injury, like a, a, a toe injury of all things uh, in the out. So, you know, Clippers are probably done, but I want to give a shout out to the Utah Jazz. Whatever happens in this next series, they're going to play their hearts out. And I love their brand of basketball. I also want to give a shout out to um, uh, just, I guess, I guess, uh, no, I think that may play off. I mean, for what it's been, I think it's been great. I think that Russell Westbrook's year was great. I think that, that whole series, even though it ended up being a 4-1 series, that was great. I think we're watching some of the most interesting storylines that we've seen um, in recent memory for, for playoff basketball. So it's been great, and uh, we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see uh, the rest of the series and, and the rest of the playoffs. 
All right, guys, listen, if anything we said today has been a stretch, don't worry about it. Thanks for warming up.